I had a friend asking me a question about how to help some of his friends who say they are Christians, but they are not acting like Christians. I will read his question to you, the one that he sent to me in just a moment. But let me ask you a couple of questions about this idea. Do you know of any Christians who do not act like Christians? Are they your friends? And here's the big question. How would you help those? Now, perhaps we're talking about your children. Maybe we're talking about your parents. Perhaps we're talking about your spouse or other people, someone that you work with, someone in your church. They name the name of Christ, but as you look at their behavior, not in a judgmental way, but in an obvious apparent way, they are not acting like Christians. My friend did ask me that, and I I gave him nine ideas that provided some clarity on how to help those who claim to be believers, but their lifestyle contradicts their profession. Now, perhaps these things will serve you too. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. The title of this podcast is How to Help Christians Who Don't Act Like Christians. You can read this article if you want. It's on our website, rickthomas.net. Please go there. It's about 2,300 words. You're welcome to read it and share it, have a discussion. That would be fantastic. Maybe you would like to talk to us. Well, we have free and active forums that you can jump on to ask your questions. The only place in the world where I respond to people with relational counseling type questions is on our forums because our ministry is just at the place to where it's not possible for me to be omnipresent. And so we had to we had to build one collection area where people can ask questions, but it's free to you. And so please jump on our forums and you can ask those questions, whether it's about this or maybe something else. Again, the title of this podcast and the article is How to Help Christians Who Don't Act Like Christians. Here's the short question that my friend sent in to me. He said it this way, I have several acquaintances who say they are Christians, but their fruit does not reflect their profession. They seem more comfortable with the label of Christianity than following Jesus. I want to reach out to them in love. Do you have any experience with this? Well, I do. And so I have nine things that I shared with my friend, and I, I want to share them with you. But, but first, I, I really want to commend anybody that thinks this way. Because, I mean, every Christian has thought about their sphere of influence I hope thinking about others is a normal, spirit-motivated response for the Christian, which is a sign of loving God and loving others more than yourself. So it is highly commendable that any of us would look outside of ourselves and consider other people. As the Hebrew writer said in chapter 10, consider, let us consider. We always want to be considering other people. And so my first response to this person is just to thank God for the compassion that he has for other people and thank God for you as you think about other people. To care about others is a God thing. Do you remember there was a time when there was an alienation between you and the Lord? But now... God has put his love in your heart. It is a miracle of grace 
for him to care for God, to care so much about you, to change you from being self-centered to other-centered. You don't want to gloss over this point. You don't want to jump over it just to get to the other things because this is a stunning turn of events. Questions like this make me grateful. The transformative work of the gospel in your life is stunning. Now, for my friend here, I imagine that his acquaintances are not as appreciative as I am and as you are for him for being so other-centered, but someday maybe they will be grateful to God because of his affection for them. You know, maybe you have someone close to you, a relative, someone within your own family or a close friend, and they're just not as appreciative of your love for them and your desire for them to walk in holiness. Well, I mean, that's okay. That's okay in in quotation marks, but I want you to put the accent mark on the very fact that you care. You care for someone, relative or friend. I worked with a man in the the mid-80s who told me about Christ. In fact, he was my, my boss, my immediate boss. Who could have imagined how a few simple statements would have had such a radical effect on my life? He told me about Christ. He told me about my need to become a Christian, to be saved from my sins. But God knew how a few simple words, how a simple act of obedience from my boss man The Lord regenerated an arrogant, Christ-rejecting young man. And so my first response is just thank you for the affection that you have for your friends. As far as as how to respond to those who name the name of Christ but are not really professing that practically as you observe them, here are nine thoughts for you to ponder and pray. As you think practically about making the gospel authentic in their lives. Now, I am going to give you this list in no particular order except for the first two things. And the first one, number one, is gospel governance. Governance. Gospel governance. Let the gospel govern your attitude as you think about how to respond to your friends. This tip was the advice of Paul to the Galatians. He recognized how easy it is to sin against those who are stubborn, resistant, or blind to the potential of God's work in their lives. This is how Paul said it in six one of Galatians. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, if anyone names the name of Christ, but they are not living out the name of Christ practically in obedience and holiness, that's the translation If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself. This is the second sentence of the verse. Lest you too be tempted. Paul devotes the majority of this text to the ones who should be doing the restoring, not the individual caught in sin. In fact, if you count the words in these two sentences in Galatians 6.1, There's only seven words that he devotes to the caught person, and more than 40, I think. I may be wrong on that, but the majority of the words are devoted to you and me and my friend who's asking me this question about how to help caught people. You must practically embrace this simple truth. Paul was aware of the tendencies of self-righteousness, which is a person thinking they are better than someone else. 
keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Gospel governance. It is easy to fall prey to a greater than attitude, especially when other people are not meeting your expectations. And it's even worse when you are right and they are not meeting your expectations. It's it's even more tempting if they say they are Christians, but their lives are not conforming to the Christian message. If you're not careful, you'll be tempted to sin against them. The antidote for this kind of temptation is to realign your heart to the gospel, be governed by the gospel. You can do that by rethinking about how God showed his favor to you. While we were sinners, Romans 5, 8, it was, God, it was God's kindness that led to your repentance. Too many of us restorers are tempted to sin when the caught ones are not changing, or they are proudly flaunting their sin before us. Do you yield to this temptation? You are a forgiven Christ killer. It was your sin that put Christ on Adam's tree. Don't ever forget this. Apart from God showing his favor on your life, you are no different from the wayward, from the mockers, from the rejectors. Point number one, I am talking about how to help Christians who don't act like Christians. Of course, this applies to to anyone. Point number one is to be governed by the gospel. Point number two, spirit praying. With your mind shaped and armed by gospel governance, you're now ready to think about how to reach these people who are unworthy of God's saving grace. This critical juncture is where you're going to need some help. Before you jump out there in the flesh doing this or doing that, ask the Spirit to illuminate your mind for the work that He is asking you to perform. Your praying should be minimally about two things. Number one, ongoing gospel governance, because your temptation to sin will not relent. Number two, wisdom from above, because your mind needs Christ to shape it. God has a better view of these things than you do. He has a view from above. You need to spend time asking the Spirit how to proceed. God can accomplish much more than you can, so don't be timid about asking Him how to respond to your friends. God knows the thoughts and intentions of the heart, your heart and their hearts. Let the Spirit and His Word be your ever-present companions. Spend time on your knees asking the Father to help you think rightly about your friends and to provide you the wisdom to guide them to his Son. Spirit praying. Here's a question for you. Do you have a ready, fire, aim, approach, being impulsive? You see something that a child should be doing or a friend should be doing and you impulsively respond to them? Or are you spending adequate time on your knees. Off-the-cuff reactions to people who are doing wrong will probably not go well for you. Point number one, gospel governance. Number two, spirit praying. Number three, bridge building. If you continue to subject your mind to gospel governance and you're bringing your request before the Father, spirit praying, you're ready to launch forward with the gospel message. 
The first and maybe the most vital part of this is bridge building. You need a relational bridge to carry truth over to them. Without a relational bridge, they may not receive the words of life that you are carrying. You have to build, connect with them. You see, our world is probably as cynical and defiant to God's message as any time in history. Part of this has been the work of the Spirit of this age. Part of it has been how we, Christians, have profaned the name of Christ. But regardless of how they became so antagonistic to God, the truth is our world is hostile to the Lord's truth. They don't want God. They don't want His Word. They don't want His children telling them about the Savior It is either a joke to them or an insult. These problems make bridge building essential, critical. They need to know your love for God and your love for them. They need to feel how they are not a project or a notch on your Christian belt so that you can go back and tell others that you have done your Christian duty or some other motive that that comes across as relationally detached. I remember when I was in my fundamentalist Bible college, we had uh, a, a list of things that we had to do every month, and we turned in our sheet. Part of the things that we had to do is we had to pass out so many Bible tracts. And of course, the better you did on your list, the better it looked for you as you graduated as a senior when, when churches came looking for pastors. And so it was more about filling up a list so that I'd have a wonderful resume of sorts. Perchance I had the opportunity to be a pastor after graduation. You want to make sure that you're not relationally detached. I'm not saying that all my motives were impure when I was passing out tracts, hundreds upon hundreds of them every month. Genuine affection is how God broke down the barriers between him and you. Your friends need to know that. They need to know that you are for them, as, as Paul talked about in Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who is against us? God breaks down barriers because he is for us. Are you for them? As long as they are not asking you to sin, I'm talking about bridge building here, spend time with them, interact with them. There have been a few situations where the enemies of God have asked me to participate in their sin. Rarely did they take up an offense because I would not play with them according to their wishes. Only a few times have I been asked to participate in sin. Those moments are exceptions, not the norm. In almost all cases, they have respected my beliefs. The key was for me not to be a jerk about my Christianity. They typically respect regular Christians who choose not to do certain things that they do but aren't preachy about their beliefs. My point is, is that you can practically love them by spending time with them. And with a prayed-up mind, you should be able to speak into their lives as the opportunities avail themselves. Number four, not answering fools. A strong language, I realize, but people who do not adhere to the gospel do not walk in obedience or fools according to Scripture, Proverbs 26.4 says this, answer not a fool, according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And so be careful about getting pulled into the tempting nonsense of fools. 
There'll be times when foolish people will want to jerk your chain by messing with you or baiting you. You'll have to discern your friends and not fall into this kind of snare. This possibility is why you want to be regularly praying for the Spirit's wisdom. That's why the first two points were non-negotiable. They were the first two points, governed by the gospel and Spirit praying. If you're not regularly praying, you will trip and fall without warning. You will be baited and tempted by their foolishness. You will answer a fool when Proverbs 26.4 says, I am not answering fools or answer not a fool. And when you do fall, you can expect a host of other temptations to fall in on top of you. Things like discouragement and despair and frustration and anger and maybe even unkind words in retaliation. Whenever you go toe-to-toe with a fool, sin may follow. Point number four, not answering fools. Point number five, answering fools. You see, I gave you Proverbs 26.4, said, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And then the very next verse, Proverbs 26, verse 5, Answer a fool. According to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. I like this proverbial couplet. Solomon is not contradicting himself, but demonstrating his wisdom. You see, wisdom does not come from cookie-cutter applications. This pneumatic possibility, going back to point number two, spirit praying. The pneumatic possibilities in a relationship is why prayer is essential. You need the Spirit's illuminating help. Sometimes you answer not a fool according to his folly. Sometimes you answer a fool according to his folly. Pneumatic ministry is the only way you can operate biblically consistent because you're not smart enough or strong enough to pull it off by yourself. You need God's power and and guidance. There'll be times when you will have to debunk the arguments of fools so they won't continue in their self-deception. Now, this attitude of the mind must be grace-empowered. It will take courage to speak your mind without caving to the fear of man, peer pressure, needing their approval, needing their acceptance, fearing their rejection. It will take more grace to speak from an authentic attitude of love. The title of this podcast is How to Help Christians Who Do Not Act Like Christians. A friend asked me that question. I gave him nine keys, nine tips, nine pieces of advice. Number one, be governed by the gospel. Number two, spirit praying. Number three, build that relational bridge, bridge building. Number four, not answering fools. Don't get baited when they try to bait you. Parents are easily manipulated by their children. You want to walk in the power of the Spirit. Number five, answering fools. Sometimes you have to debunk their arguments You have to step in it with them. You can't be managed by the fear of man. Number six, proper mourning, weeping. If the gospel grips your attitude, which it should, you will be appropriately sad for these people. Now, you want to model the Lord here. As he never forgets our frames, You remember what he said in Psalm 103, 14, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are from the dust. My point is that he understands God, understands his audience. 
and you need to understand yours. You must have the right perspective on your friends. Your friends are from the dirt. Genesis 2-7, God created all of us from the dust of the ground. The devil has ensnared them. Not only are they created from the dirt, the meaning here is that they're fragile and finite and vulnerable and weak people, and they have been ensnared by the devil. They may even be children of the devil. You're not sure. And if they are Satan's children, their behavior is according to how Satan functions, not the works of the Father. You must have a right attitude on them. Sometimes we can expect people to be like we are. (laughs) Partly, how arrogant is that? But the point is that we expect them to to love God the way that we do. That's not how it works. Don't be confused by what they say. They act like Christians. They say they are Christians. They go to church meetings. They show up at a church building. It doesn't matter who they say they are. It's their fruit that will reveal their authentic selves, as Jesus talked about in Matthew 7. If they are living in deception by saying they are believers, but in reality they are not, the only proper response is to mourn for them. Sin has captured and blinded their minds. They need your compassion as well as your corrective care. Perhaps you can read Ephesians 4, starting at verse 17 up to verse 21, where it talks about how futile these people are and how hardened they have become. When we see people like this, they not just need our corrective care, but they need our mourning. Number six, proper mourning. Number seven, allow hypocrisy. Permit hypocrisy. There is no need for you to overstruggle with their hypocrisy. Now, what I mean is that some folks become frustrated by the hypocrisy of the others, of others. And what they do is they don't take in full consideration of their own hypocrisy. Everybody is a hypocrite to a degree. I mean, if you want to use that language, there is, there is always a gap between who Christ is and who we are. Everybody has a gap. Nobody is purely honest in, in all ways, with all people, at all times. It's not possible. And none of us have 100% pure motives all of the time. There is a little leaven in all of us, no matter how hard or how diligent we pursue God. We will not be entirely sanctified until Jesus returns. I am okay with this, okay, in quotation marks, and you should be too. You see, the real issue is not the hypocrisy that is resident in any of us. The issue is how are we addressing it? Which way are you heading? Are you pursuing God and others, asking them, God and others, to help you to mature in holiness Or are you more interested in hiding from God and others? You're running the other way. Your friends may be more interested in hiding. Be careful not to judge them too harshly. We are tempted to do similar things. And it's only because of the gospel that we are not regularly yielding to the temptations of half-truths and a lack of transparency. And so allow, allow hypocrisy within the context of what I am saying here, number seven. Number eight, express gratitude. One of the ways you'll know if you're responding correctly to your friends will be the condition of your heart and the type of speech that comes from your mouth. If gratitude characterizes you rather than negativity, you'll be okay. Some people just criticize people 
all the time. They'll talk to other people, gossip to other people about, oh, if my son would just do this, or if my husband would just do this, or if my wife would just do this, oh, you see what my friend is doing. When you think about your friends, what stirs in your heart? What comes out of your mouth? Are you grateful when thinking about them? These are important questions. They will reveal your faith in the process that you're in with your friends. If you are in faith for the process, you see, we see this idea of faith for the process in Philippians 1.6. Paul had tremendous faith for the process. What God has begun, he will complete. Do you hear the faith for the process in Paul's attitude? If you are in faith for this process that you're in with your friends, the primary condition of your heart will be gratitude. If not, there is something wrong with your thinking. Because of God's great grace in your life, here's something to be grateful for. If you're struggling for something to be grateful for, here is something. Because of his great grace in your life, you are permitted to share the story of his son to others. Sharing, watering, planting is the extent of your work for the Lord with your friends. God's expectation is not for you to change them. Any transformation or the lack of it is dependent upon the Lord. God grants repentance. Your job is to be grateful for the opportunity to share his truth with a wayward soul. How cool is it that God removed the alienation between you and him, brought you into his son, allows you to walk in the light and to carry his water bucket? A lack of gratitude for these opportunities reveals something wrong with you. Number eight, express gratitude. And then finally, number nine, how to help Christians who don't act like Christians. Nine ideas, nine things to consider. Number nine, burden sharing. It is always wise to position yourself in a community of friends, especially when it comes to evangelizing others. Your job is tough and tempting, and you don't want to do go at it alone. Soul care work is burdensome work. I do this all the time, as I tell. Sometimes these youngsters will, will come and say, I want to be a, a biblical counselor. Fantastic! I, I can just see myself in an office just counseling people. That is awesome. Here's something I want you to consider. 40 hours in 40 years. 40 hours a week for 40 years. Soul care work is burdensome work. They don't understand exactly what I'm saying. They can kind of catch my drift, but you can't understand it, not the way you need to, until you get into it. Soul care work is burdensome. It will wear you out. Find a friend or two and bring them into a circle of mutual burden bearers. Let them help you carry the load. This need, this critical need, is part of the reason that I began this website. I want to be one of those who comes alongside God's community. I want to help carry burdens. That's why I'm answering this question here for this individual. That's why we have our community forums. We want to be a come-alongside ministry because I understand the critical need. There are so many people that love God, so many people that want to help others. But it is hard work, and we need each other. And so what I want you to do is ask the Father for a few close friends with whom you can share your burden regarding your friends I'm not talking about gossip or slander. 
Now, gossip or slander is tied to the motivation of your heart. If the motivation of your heart is redemptive for your friends, it is okay with a close group of friends, two or three others, that you, you share these things within this closed group. Your motives are pure. Your desires are redemptive. It's not, about, it's, it's not because you have a bad attitude. Remember, you're being grateful. You have a grateful attitude, and, and you're guarding your heart. And you want to surround yourself with a few close brothers to, or sisters, if you are a lady, to share your burden with. Ask them to pray for you in this work. Share with them your struggles and temptations. Talk about you. Especially talk about you. Let the body of Christ serve you. And so to my friend and anyone else that's asking how to help those who who say they're Christians, but they're not, or maybe they're just not, and they're not claiming to be Christians at all. Either way, this applies. I appreciate your honesty and transparency regarding those you care about and your desire to see them come into a more productive experience in Christ. Thanks for asking for my advice. I want to leave you with just a few questions They're at the bottom of this article. What is your response to this article, to this podcast? How do you need to change? Number two, are you in faith for the process as you seek to help them? What discourages you from the process? What does any discouragement reveal about you? Are you tempted to judge them self-righteously? What about impatience with them? An impatient person is a self-righteous one. Are you at rest when thinking about them even though they are not changing the title of the podcast, How to Help Christians Who Don't Act Who Don't Act Like Christians. If you want to talk to me about this, please go to rickthomas.net, jump on our forums. We are waiting for you. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.